From our creation in 1997, WGU was designed to be different. The difference? An affordable, flexible online option to earn a college degree, tailor-made for Hoosiers like Heidi Mitchell. WGU allowed me the flexibility and accountability needed for me to become a success story. The confidence that WGU has given me has allowed me to share my story and start a domestic violence awareness program at my place of employment with over 10,000 employees. Heidi's story, a testament to WGU Indiana President Allison Bell's vision. And importantly, at WGU Indiana, we uh, focus on the success of our students. Mm -hmm. So it's not just enrolling them, but it's getting them across the finish line. That's, that's my vision. Allison Bell on the WGU model, why it works, and an interesting take on the overall state of higher education on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. Allison Bell was destined for a career in education. She grew up near the campus of Ball State University, where her dad was a popular professor of Eastern history. The college experience, just part of her DNA. Allison left Muncie to attend Indiana University, where she graduated with a degree in psychology returned home to Muncie to earn her master's in student personnel administration, and then went on to spend most of her career in higher education. And I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast this week, Allison Bell, the chancellor of WGU Indiana. Allison, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Gary. I'm happy to be here. What's keeping you busy these days? We're in the throes of summer. Yeah. And traditionally, uh, you know, summer's kind of a, a, a downtime for schools. But I, I would imagine for WGU, there's, is, the, is there a downtime? There really isn't a downtime. You know, I, I know you're familiar with it, but not everybody is. WGU, right. we admit students at the beginning of every month. We don't have a summer semester. We don't, you know, our students work on their own pace and they have six months terms. So every month there are students who need us. There are students who are graduating every month. There are students who are starting every month and we're staying busy. We're growing. Talk about the model WGU Indiana, the state's online competency-based university. Give us that that thumbnail des description of what WGU Indiana is is all about. Sure. So as you said, we're fully online, not-for-profit university. The competency-based model is important because what we do is we are able to award credit to our students for, for knowledge that they have, competencies that they've earned through work, through prior learning in school, through training programs. If they can demonstrate that competency, they can earn the credit and move forward. And that's what allows our students to move at their own pace. It's also highly affordable because we're a not-for-profit. We're able to keep our tuition very low. And also, as students earn their credits within a term, which they have a six-month term to work through their credits, they pay a flat rate tuition. So when they move at their own pace, if they move more quickly, they don't pay more. All of our degrees also are workforce relevant. Um, and they're they're current. You know, we make sure that the competencies that we are measuring within each degree program line up with what employers are seeking in those fields of work. So that's another important piece of our of our model. 
Yeah. Okay. Talk about that because relevancy uh, is certainly an important element in education these days. How how does WGU do that? Connecting students, uh, your students to the careers, to the needs that exist out there in the business community. Well, part of it is in the design of our degree programs. So we have a a unique design where we call on experts from the fields, but also academic experts. So professional and academic experts to identify what are the key competencies. So for example, we just launched a new degree in supply chain management. So in developing that degree, we drew on experts to identify the competencies and then the the degree program, learning resources, all of the experiences that the student will have as a part of that, earning that degree, they're built backwards from what competencies should they have when they graduate? What should they be able to do? What should they know? What should they have, you know, mastery of? And we work backwards from that. So that's one of the ways that we stay relevant. And we regularly redevelop our degree programs because those those competencies shift and change a bit. Yeah. WGU Indiana launched here in the state in 2010. Hard to believe it's been 13 years. Yeah. Uh, I remember having your predecessor on the show. I think when she landed yeah, Allison Barber, when she landed from DC, I think yeah. her first her first stop was at our studio. But <laughs> you took over as chancellor in 2019. The mm-hmm. pandemic has certainly impacted so many everything we do and and going forward, business and otherwise. Certainly, delivery of education as well. I've, I've read where you've said that WGU, in a sense, was was kind of built for the pandemic. Talk yeah, about that. It really was. I think if you think about. The fact that we were we started online, even predating 2010, our launch in Indiana, WGU as a national university was launched in the late 90s. We just we just celebrated our 25th anniversary as a national university last right. year. So in the late 90s, the governors who developed WGU as a model developed us online competency based so that people could access uh, have access either from either because they had distance to travel to get to a school or because they of other things like money, time, all the things that limit people, right? So we removed all of that at the foundation of our model, not expecting a pandemic, obviously, but turns out when people are grounded in essence and have to stay in their homes to stay safe, um, if they've got access to a degree program that's fully online and and people who are accustomed to supporting people in their learning in an online way, they're able to keep going when something like a pandemic happens. And beyond that, what we saw is we saw we saw a number of people accelerate through their degree programs because they didn't have other they didn't have to go to the baseball game or right. you know there were things that they didn't have to do. So they focused on their schoolwork and they got it done more quickly and in a lot of cases. Talk about the typical WGU Indiana student. I know a lot of women, I think more than 70% right, of your students are, are, are women. Is there a typical student? I, I know in the past I would hear, you know, a lot of, you know, designed for those people who've, who've gone to college, but for a variety of reasons, you know, didn't finish, didn't get that degree. Tell us about the typical WGU student. Yeah, well, you're you're right that it is the the most of our students are women. So the typical student would be a woman in her mid 30s, typically either a parent or caregiver of some sort, works part or full time. The vast majority work part or full time. Um, it's more than eighty percent. Most do have some college, but haven't earned a degree. 
um, and they're seeking completing a degree, or maybe sometimes a, some some come for their masters. You know, we have graduate degree programs too, but typically it's with the desire to either change careers or advance their career. And not having a degree is holding them back from doing it. Mm-hmm. As you look at uh, continued growth for WGU, I I, I know I see a lot of partnerships uh, that you uh, enter into with business uh uh with uh, with school systems and the like talk about in in your view the power of partnership uh and how that enables you to grow i'm really glad you asked that question we do have different kinds of partnerships one of the first partnerships that we established when we launched in 2010 in indiana was our partnership with ivy tech community college because we knew that we were the only path, the best path for so many students who choose Ivy Tech. So many of those are women who are, you know, have maybe tried a degree before, not finished, et cetera. So, so we created a, a transfer pathway from Ivy Tech to WGU Indiana for all of our degree programs that just, it makes a smooth transition for folks. Um, so that was one, that's one type of partnership, but our partnership with employers, I'll give you an example. Um, early on in Indiana, we established a partnership with what is now Elevance Health. And through that partnership, you know, the way we establish that partnership is to talk with the employer and find out what are the needs of their, of that organization or that employer? Um, where do they have pain points? How might we help them help their employees skill up? There is a talent crisis in Indiana. And one of the best ways for uh, organizations to meet that talent crisis is to build up their own talent pipeline. And by partnering with WGU, they offer a flexible, affordable pathway that typically in Elevance's case and a lot of other um, employers, they have an employer, uh, sorry, an education benefit for their employees. Um, And so they can offer to pay for that degree program, but they will pay less if they partner with WGU for their employees to skill up. And they can also work with WGU on what are some pathways that might develop skills for workers that are more needed for that particular um, Mm -hmm. employer. Another partnership this last year that's super exciting that I'd love to talk about is with a not-for-profit, the KFC Foundation. So it's the nonprofit organization, that foundation that is affiliated with the KFC restaurant chain. They were looking for an exclusive partner that they could offer. They have a scholarship program that they offer to all of their employees to complete their degree. And they've had this program for years, but they had a really low uptake of, you know, their their employees weren't utilizing it. And what they discovered, what they determined is that the employees weren't utilizing the benefit because there wasn't a pathway or an educator that allowed them to do that and still take care of the things they needed to take care of. So they found WGU and they've partnered with us to offer to fully pay for any employee, part-time or full-time on day one of employment, they're eligible for this tuition scholarship and they give them in essence, a full ride scholarship. Wow. And as soon as they complete their degree, they can leave KFC and go work somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the best deal. And it is nationwide, not just in Indiana. And they did that for a couple of things. One, it's a not-for-profit. It's their mission. But two, it is helping to solve KFC's staffing problem. They saw an exponential increase in applications to work at KFC restaurants at the launch of this of this program, this partnership back in February. 
and they continue to see a higher volume of applicants, even though this program launched back in February. Talk about, I know you have a lot of stories, uh, personal stories, the impact that WGU Indiana has made on the individuals' lives. Any, anything that stands out to you? Uh, I know I've seen some in some coverage, but uh, students who you know used, never thought they'd get a college degree and actually were able to do that through the model there at WGU Indiana. Yeah, you know, I I hear so many stories. And so often what I hear from people is if it weren't for WGU, I wouldn't have done this. Like this is the only pathway for me. And so that's sort of what keeps me up at night too, is that there are people out there who think they can't earn a degree just because they don't know about WGU. So that's why I appreciate these conversations so we can spread the word. But one that comes to mind is one woman that we actually awarded her a $10,000 scholarship in honor of our 10-year anniversary. And this was right in the midst of a pandemic. So she was a student who was completing her associate's degree. And I believe it was IT security at Ivy Tech. And one of her instructors, or I think it was actually an advisor to a student organization she was part of, told her about WGU. She didn't know about WGU at the time. Um, And she had decided she was going to complete her bachelor's degree. But in that, prior to hearing about WGU, she had decided now's not the time and maybe I'll, I'll never be able to get my bachelor's degree. She didn't have a lot of resources, a lot of financial resources. At the time, she was going through a divorce with, she had two small children And so she kind of just resigned herself to, I'm not going to do this. And then she looked into WGU and she decided maybe she could. Mm -hmm. And then she she applied for the scholarship, got a $10,000 scholarship. And then she really felt like she could. She completed her bachelor's degree in less than two years with us. She's now completed her master's degree and has a position as a, it's a leadership position in IT for a local company. And she's just a complete success story. She's not alone though. She's just one that comes to mind. I think Mm -hmm. I can think of many like her that we created a, I mean, her life is completely changed and she'll say, I mean, it's because of her Mm -hmm. fundamentally because she did it. Right. But, but we gave her a place in which to do it, you know, a way to do it. Yeah. How how would you assess the higher education landscape in Indiana now. And, and and we're maybe looking out ahead where it will be going forward. You know, the state has some great four-year public and private institutions. We've got Ivy Tech Community College, Vincennes, uh, two-year institutions, WGU, Indiana. Certainly the enrollment cliff that's out there is going to affect uh, schools, a lot of private schools in particular. But so the landscape is changing. How, how, how do you see things uh, specifically here in Indiana going forward here in the next, maybe the next five years? Yeah, I, that's a great question. It's a, we're at a critical point, truly. And it, it's been coming and we knew it. You know, I've worked in higher ed my entire career longer than I really wanted to say, <laughs> <laughs> but I've worked in both traditional and, and then WGU, non-traditional kind of settings. And what I, I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what will happen in five years, but if universities don't make critical changes to how they focus, who they're focusing on serving and how they serve their students, then we will see, especially smaller universities close, which which I, I don't want to see happen. I, I, I love 
the higher ed landscape in Indiana. I think we're a really fortunate state. We've got so many high quality institutions that are affordable. Any anything you could need, any kind of educational experience you could need, we have in Indiana. And I'd like it to stay that way. We need all the small privates and the big publics. But the the issue is, and I and I was a swimming upstream when I worked at a, a big public university not too long ago. <laughs> Um, that I won't name because I love them very much. But I did I did run a, up against this sort of unconscious automatic bias towards serving that 18 to 22-year-old student. And what are we going to do to attract more of them? The population is it's it's shrunk. <laughs> it's mm, it's already right. done. It's already there just are fewer of those students. And we still need to focus on serving those students. We absolutely should serve those students. But even that group of students has a different set of expectations for their higher ed experience. You know, we talk about the competency model at WGU and we talk about the flexibility and online resources and all of that. That was initially really appealing pretty much exclusively to what we like to call adult learners. But, you know, that established adult who needs something a little different. But the truth of the matter is, is that type of that type of approach to education makes sense for a whole lot of people, including some people straight out of high school. You know, there are public institutions where the vast majority of their 18 to 22 year old student population works full time, is just at or above the poverty line. They maybe would love that traditional, like move down to Bloomington, live in the residence halls kind of experience, but they don't have the luxury of that. They might need a WGU or a public institution or a private institution that offers them some of that same flexibility so they can still work and care for what they need to care for, mm-hmm. maybe live off campus. So I think that if the universities in Indiana recognize and are comfortable with embracing the kind of change that they need to make, more flexibility, some, let me be clear, there have been great improvements made already, but there's more to come. One of the key Things that I got a lot of pushback on it when in my experience trying to serve adult learners at a traditional institution was credit for prior learning, competency-based mm. education. There are a lot of kind of financial and complex reasons, also just tradition and a little bit of sometimes for some people, a little bit of ego mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> that that make people resistant to awarding credit for prior learning. You know, I want them to take my class so I can be sure they learned what I want them Mm -hmm. to learn versus trusting that if they can demonstrate that learning, they've learned it. So there are lots of reasons why there's resistance to that. But I think that if institutions can embrace that, people are more likely to persist to complete their degree. They will attract more types of learners, not just that 18 to 22-year-old span of learners that is shrinking. And other learners need those institutions. There are still, we've been saying this this data point for 13 years now, there are still three quarters of a million, you know, 750,000 Hoosiers with some college and no degree. Do they all need or want a degree? No, but I guarantee you there are plenty of them that do, and that will solve the population cliff, enrollment <laughs> cliff problem if we can serve those learners. Much more with Allison Bell, the chancellor of WGU Indiana, when we return her path to her present role and a lot more when the Business and Beyond podcast returns.
At PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street Bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group, Bank. All rights reserved. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week, Allison Bell. Allison is the chancellor at WGU Indiana, a role she uh, took on in 2019. So four years in. So you are you are Hoosier native, right? Grew up in yes. Muncie. And it's not a surprise that you're in education because your dad was a professor there, right? That's right. My father was a history professor. Eastern history was his was his specialty. Yeah. And and I read where he he was a a performer, right? His his classes, there yeah. was a bit of performance art art in there. Talk about that. I, yes, my dad actually won teaching awards because of his innovative approach to teaching. He had one of the classes that he taught back in the day. We call, they called it from Plato to NATO. So it was that world history, you know, that uh-huh. spans. So NATO at the time was current, which is <laughs> funny to think. But but he, that's a class that kind of everybody had to take, and it could be depending on your interests, it could be a bit of a snoozer. But the way my dad taught it, people, I mean, his class was always full. They were entertained by him. I actually had the chance to take it as his high school senior. And I can remember hearing people talk about him around me and they didn't know he was my dad. And that some of the things that they said, trying to figure out what, how he could be so crazy and entertaining teaching this stuff. But he would do things like um, talking about the Industrial Revolution. He had us break into groups and create paper airplanes and have contests about who built the best airplane to just talk about in the Industrial Revolution. And he gave a lecture from the top of a ladder dressed as a gladiator, you know, to talk about that era. So he understood that the topic could be dry, but it was important. And just a little bit of connecting it to your, to well, getting people active, but also connecting it to your current life could also help you remember it more. He always started his classes with some sort of current music or a music video that maybe was, you know, had maybe a little bit of a political message that might connect with some historical concept he was teaching. It was great. Yes. And you were really close. You were exposed to college, uh, university life very early, not only your dad being a professor, but you went to Burris Laboratory School, right? Which it's on the campus, isn't it? Ball State? It is. In fact, it was right across the street from my dad's office. It was right across from Lucina Hall at the time, which was where he was. And it was originally because Ball State started out as a teacher's college mm-hmm. that Burris was placed there to be a place where the teachers, the people who were learning to be teachers could come over and work with students. It was where they did their student teaching. I had tutors from the time I can remember, you know, I started there in kindergarten and and we would just it was just a regular thing where Ball State students would come over and they'd tutor us on certain subjects. And we had a lot of one-on-one, you know, really intensive learning experiences because we were a part of that Ball State campus. Yeah. Influence of your parents, very strong. I know your dad, the professor, your mom pursued her master's degree, right? When you were in kindergarten, got that at Ball State, started her first in career was at General Motors and Anderson, then ultimately wound up 
in education, right? She did. She became an academic advisor. So she did. She worked for GM for for many years and then took an early retirement um, and wasn't ready to to quit working. And so she got she was became an academic advisor at Ball State. And it was when she was working as an academic advisor and I graduated from with my undergraduate degree. Not quite sure where I wanted to go. I had a job working in the not-for-profit field, but I thought I wanted a master's degree. My mom was the one who said, hey, I came across this master's in you know, student affairs and higher education at Ball State. What about that? And I thought, like, that's perfect. That's like the master's degree that was, I didn't know it existed. And my mom's yeah. the one who helped me find it. That's good. I want to ask you about your grandmother too, because yeah. it sounds like as I was doing a little research that she was a very strong influence on you as well. Yeah. So uh, both my grandmothers were, I believe you're probably talking about my, my father's mother, who was a, a Rosie the Riveter. Is that Yes, the- exactly. That's yeah. 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 So my, we called her grandmother because in the South they're mother and daddy, right? So I had a grandmother and a granddaddy. She only completed the eighth grade. And she and my granddaddy were married, um, I think, by the time they were 15 and 16. You know, it was a different time. So yep. they, they had a farm, but um, my granddaddy was a steel worker. And then, you know, they were he was old enough that he didn't go off to war during the Second World War. But a lot of people did at that steel mill. So my granny, my grandmother went to work there, you know, and I have yeah. pictures of her and you know, running a crane. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. She was just a, she was funny. She was a funny, very independent, kind of a just can do anything she wanted to do kind of woman. Yeah. Okay. I've got to ask you, you have all this Ball State influence, <laughs> but you went to IU, you went to Bloomington, right? For your, yeah. your undergrad uh, work. How'd that happen? Well, so I, like a lot of other teenagers, I, you know, grew up I mean, my my daycare was my dad's office across the street from Burris. I I said I am I am absolutely never going to Ball State. No <laughs> way is what I yeah. what I said. And my parents were very supportive of that. They wanted me to you know be independent. And so I chose IU partly because I'm in Indiana. So IU right. seemed obvious to me. But it, what got me really was when they won that the national championship in 1987. Yeah. I, applying for colleges that year. And so I watched that and I said, that's where I want to go. So I applied and I'd like to make it sound more academic, but I'd be lying. That was it. (laughs) But I will remember this. And this is uh, one of those kind of pivotal points in my life uh, where my mom really showed up for me in a big way. And I, I, it was the summer before I was going I, I mean, it was weeks before I was going to IU and that's all I had ever planned to do. I didn't even apply anywhere else. I applied to IU, got in, that's where I was going. And I was, I remember driving around with my mom and saying, you know what, maybe I should go to Ball State. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh no. I was like, maybe I should stay home, go to Ball State. And she said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You've been talking about IU. She's like, listen, you can go to IU. If you don't like it, Ball State's a great school. You can come back here, but you got to try. And she just put her foot down. I was the youngest of four. There might have been part of her that was like, no, <laughs> right. <to> go. <laughs> but I, I give her a lot of credit because I think it would have been easy for her to kind of give me the easy way out. And she didn't. And I'm so grateful because IU was a great experience. Yeah. I want to ask you, too, early in your career, I know something that was a big a challenge for you, a fear, if you will, was public speaking. Right. And and now, I mean, obviously, you're in a position where that's what you do. I mean, and and you do it very well. How how did you overcome that that fear? 
I mean, I so I feared public speaking so much that somehow I got out of IU without ever taking a public speaking class. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure how I managed, but I did. I, I think part of it was that even though public speaking was scary for me, everything else about the field that I was going into with the higher ed was everything I wanted. And it just so happened that public speaking was a part of it. You know, I started out as a career counselor, academic advisor, and part of that work is presenting on how to write a resume, or at least it was back in the day. And so in order to do what I wanted to do, I had to force myself to do it. And man, I don't, I'm glad there aren't recordings of those, <laughs> first, <laughs> those first presentations that I did because I was scared to death. But I think it was because this would have been, I wasn't going to let that be the obstacle to, you know, what I really wanted to do, what felt like my calling. And Mm -hmm. so I did it and I, and I made mistakes, but I also recognized that I didn't die from it, even though I thought I would at some point. And I think it's like anything else. It's that, what is that aversion, aversion therapy or something where you expose yourself a little bit to the phobia, right? you know, eventually it's not so scary anymore. And that's what it was. I mean, and and for some, and part of it is also my personality of like, I don't want to let any, I don't, no one can tell me I can't do something, you know? And so I think part of that was like, even though it was me telling myself I couldn't public speak, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't stand for that. Right. You know? So I, I wanted to change it. So I did. Yeah. And I just did it through just boldly going and making some mistakes and learning from them. And I just got better over time. It took a Several years, though. Took a while. Yeah, WGU Indiana, you know, deals with a lot of students who have to balance a lot of things, work, education, family. As you reflect back on how you handled that, the balance, Mm -hmm. the work-family balance uh, from the early days in your career to maybe now, what... Talk about that transition and maybe is there are there any tips or suggestions you would have to, to people getting into you know beginning their careers right now? Yeah, that's that's been one of my more important kind of life lessons, journeys in life is how do I how do I honor the most important thing to me, which is caring for my family, but then also honor who I am. You know, I became a parent after I had an established career. And so it would have been not impossible, but it would have been hard to walk away from that. But I also didn't want my career to ever take precedence over being a mom. So it was a long journey. There was a lot of self-doubt, a lot of guilt, a lot of tears to my husband, to my parents, you know, a lot of that, a lot of frustration. But, you know, over the course of time, I figured out a couple of things. And I guess it would boil to one I I learned how to advocate for what I and my family needed. So for example, I was working full-time for IUPUI when I had my, when I had all three of my kids and I asked for a job share. It wasn't done, but I, at the time, no one did it, but I had a colleague who we knew we could share that position and we were established in the department where we worked. We asked for a job share. They let us do it. And we did that for, I think it was three years. Mm Mm-hmm. So I worked half time. I still got to work. I still got to be with my family. So that was one thing. Ask for what you need. Advocate for yourself. The worst that could happen is they could have told me no. Right. Um, The other thing that I, over time, came to understand is that sometimes being a good parent is just finding someone else to do the work for you when it makes sense. So it 
you know, part of being a good parent is if you're going to have your children in daycare or some kind of childcare, picking the right daycare or childcare, you're still being a good parent. It's not a failure to let someone else help you care for your children. And in fact, if you want to have a career as a mother, you can't, even though you kind of are, you know, get the impression from social media and media and all of that, that you should be able to do it all. You absolutely can. You can't. And that doesn't make, that doesn't make me a bad mom. I don't feel less connected to my kids because they were in childcare sometimes. I'm still their primary caregiver, even though they're now 21, 18, and 16. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. Hey, as, as we wind down here, as you look at WGU Indiana over the next several years, I mentioned earlier, and you, you talked about it too, how the pandemic has affected uh, everything, including education delivery. How do, you, how do you see, how do you envision WGU Indiana growing and evolving uh, here over the next uh, next decade? I'm really excited about WGU Indiana, where we are now and where we're headed. We've seen continued growth in Indiana and, in, you know, growing enrollment. There was a little bit of a plateau there in and around the pandemic. We've had some shifts and changes in where we see our enrollment, things like the job market, um, just the the landscape of healthcare has changed the way people enroll in different degree programs in healthcare and nursing particularly has been impacted. So those are some changes. But some of the things that I'm excited about, one, partnerships like the one with the KFC Foundation, where we're able to reach a population of learners that we haven't, we've reached some, but we haven't reached as well as we could have. So more partnerships like that, we've got that partnership as a as an example And I know that there are more organizations and employers that will offer that kind of opportunities for people who need us the most. So that's one thing we'll see more of. We're also launching um, certificates, micro-credentials at WGU, and that's going to open up. I'm sure I haven't even conceptualized exactly how that will change the landscape of our learners, but um, we're launching our first, it's a web development certificate. Um, and there are more to come. There will be one from our College of Business here in the next year um, and and many more. But uh, but I have those that are certain. Um, so that will those will be a couple of the changes. We also have some new degree programs that are super exciting, like the supply chain management degree program. And it, we also uh, launched a degree in finance last year. There's a lot of degree programs coming in our School of Health as well. So I don't know. I love the possibilities. I think growth is is a sure thing for us. More partners, uh, more employer partners, and just continuing to meet the educational needs of the workforce in Indiana and the learners in Indiana. Well, Allison, it's been a real treat to have you on the podcast. Uh, the work you do is very important, and the work uh, the folks at WGU Indiana uh, do is really important as we look at this talent pipeline that's so critical for the state's uh, future growth. Thanks for joining us and continued success to you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Allison Bell, the Chancellor, WGU Indiana. My guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast, it is presented by PNC, a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download it at Apple or wherever you find your podcast and get Indiana Business News 24-7 at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.